Have your Bibles, we're in the book of Romans chapter 15, and uh, I'm concluding our series this morning uh, called The Road Less Traveled. We've been studying through the book of Romans, which has been a fantastic study. It's one of those lifetime goals uh, that the Lord has you know, put in my heart. So I, I've had the time of my life walking through this book. There are so many theological implications uh, that are found in the book of Romans. I mean, it's one of those books that's jam-packed and doing it in eight weeks is almost doing it a disservice. Um, the last chapters of the book of Romans are actually some of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. And we'll see that here in a moment. It's because the, the focus is all about relationships. I mean, we started with a lot of doctrine, a lot of theology, and eventually, you, inevitably, you make your way into how that works out in life, and it's worked out through relationship. Now, I want to read uh, Romans 15, starting in verse 30. Just read a few verses here, and then we're going to pray. This is kind of the the, uh, the text here. I, I beg you, brethren, Paul said, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God. You know, Paul asked for prayer, and I, it'd be great if you pray for the leadership of the church when you think about it. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that I may come to you with joy, someone say with joy, by the will of God, and be refreshed together with you, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you this morning for the spirit of joy and the spirit of peace to just come alive. I pray for uh, there to be just impartation, understanding. And I pray, Lord, that we would get a good glimpse and good grasp on how we can handle relationship together in love. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you know, whatever areas of our hearts and minds you know, may be uh, affected or hurt in relationship, I pray that we'd be able to look at the good things, say the joy that's in it. We pray that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. You know, what I think is just super cool in my life right now is that my children like coming to church. Uh, they, they don't hide in the closets or play sick like I did when I was in the second grade. Uh, they're, they're up early. It was spring forward. They were wide out of bed. They were bright eyed and bushy tailed. They love to come here. They get here with me early. We pray and uh, they, they, <laughs> they stay in my office. But, uh, you know, I, I remember when I rededicated my life to the Lord, it was like I was all in on the local church. Uh, I love the local church. Someone said it's the hope of the world. And when I think about the refreshing relationships I've had that have come to church, one of them I think about is my, my dear friend who passed away some time ago. His name was R.L. Brandt. I've talked about him before. And I remember, you know, he was in the Assembly of God denomination. And he was really way up there. He'd been there for many years. And many of you know who he was. And he became a mentor of mine. I'm, I'm a, you know, late teens, early 20s. He was in his 80s. And he was just such a refreshing relationship. And, you know, when he officially retired from the ministry, we, he, gave us, he gave me his library. And I'll meet people today in the Assemblies of God denomination, and I'll ask if they knew him, and they always do. And, and I tell them he gave me his library. They're always blown away by it. So he, I just remember moments in life where he encouraged me at my father's funeral, gave me a Bible verse. Uh, he gave me wise counsel when we started the church. Uh, he was a friend. He was my friend. I'm forever grateful for that. And when I think about his life, when I think about you know, the, the encounters I had with him, what it does for me is it reminds me of the joy of ministry. And so that's kind of the emphasis I want to hit this way more challenge. Joys. If I've learned anything about the ministry, <clears throat> I have learned that it's way more challenging than I ever thought it would be. And that's the reality of dealing with people. When you deal with people, you're going to have problems. And, and on the other hand, ministry 
can be also some of the most joyous experiences you'll ever have in life when you get to bless somebody. Because it's the same reason. You're dealing with people. And I love this topic. You know, we're a relational church, and that means that we love people. One of the things I like to talk about is the value of one person. Every person is valuable in the eyes of the Lord. So it, it just means uh, that you understand that with people, you got ups and you get downs, you get highs and lows, you get pains and you get joys. And today I get to focus on the joy part of it. So let, let's kick it off. Romans 15, I want to focus on this 32nd verse. Look what he said here. Paul said, I want to come to you with joy by the will of God uh, that I might be refreshed together with you. So first thing I want to highlight for you, there are relationships that refresh you. So it makes them enjoyable. And that word refresh means strengthen. Uh, it means to kind of bolster up, reinvigorate you when you're down a little bit. That's what relationships can do. You read chapter 16, which we'll get to here in a moment. It's so interesting. He's going to name 35 individual people. And it reminds me of what David did in, in 2 Samuel there. He's mentioning his mighty men. I mean, he names guy after guy that were in the band with him, and that were in his troop. And here Paul's doing the same thing. He's just talking to all these people. He's mentioning them by name. And you know, the, the Bible says that uh, refreshment is like uh, from people can be like a cold drink of water on a hot day. That's always a wonderful thing. When uh, you're overheated and you get, you get some refreshment from people, you get some cool words that might help you out. In order for a relationship to be refreshing, I'll tell you what it has to be. We just read it. It's by the will of God. These are relationships that are divinely ordained, divinely inspired, relationships that God put together. He knit you together. And they'll sharpen you. They will pick you up. They'll give you bits of advice you hold on to forever. I mentioned my friend, Brother Brant. I could talk about Pastor Larry Stocks, who's a mentor of mine. Uh, that was how I met Mike Ware, who's been a blessing. And next week, we've got Dick DeWert coming up here. And people don't even know who he is. Man, he, he is an incredible man ministering in Canada. That dude is an apostle. Started something like 800 churches in Canada, an entire denomination, spirit-filled people. And you know it's really incredible to have him. He just had a miracle take place in his life. They were able to purchase the building that he was in. in that is a relationship. I'm looking forward to hanging out with him. I know you won't want to miss him next week. He's just going to come loaded and he's excited to be here. That is a relationship that I consider to be something that the Lord has orchestrated, something he's put together in my life. I'm grateful for it. You know, relationships, when you think about them, to, for them to reinvigorate you, uh, you get refreshed when you're with faithful people. These are people who are with you through difficult times. And the Bible says a faithful man will refresh your soul. This is where you get into chapter 16. And I just want to read a few verses through the 16th chapter, just kind of highlight some of these things. Romans, six, or Romans 16, verse 1. Here's what Paul said. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who it says, a servant of the church in Centuria, that you might receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For she indeed has been a helper of many, and myself also. Paul's identifying Phoebe, who he said was reliable. She was licensed on behalf of the church to go minister in whatever needs and capacities they had. And he identified her, he called her out. He said, this is a woman you know, that, that you can trust. He's going to mention another uh, woman here and her husband in verse 3, Priscilla and Aquila, who Paul met in Corinth. My fellow workers. And it said that these guys risked their own necks for my life. Not only who I give thanks, but so do the churches of the Gentiles. You imagine that? They were willing to lay their lives down for the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about. People who were willing to go the extra mile. They were willing to die on behalf of the Lord. In verse 12, he mentions two more women, Tryphena and Tryphosa, 
who it says labored in the Lord, and he mentions Persis, another laborer in the Lord. These guys were hard workers, man. They gave their all to the things of God. You know, I went to uh, Five Guys last week for lunch. Anyone like Five Guys? Yeah, and I'm glad I ordered on the app because there was too long of a line there. So I got to Hobnob. That's what I do very well. And I looked across the restaurant. I saw a friend of mine who's an associate pastor at one of my uh, friend's churches here in town. I walked up to him, started talking to him. And, you know, I was telling him, I was like, hey, you know, uh, I think it's great that you have been so faithful and so loyal all these years, you know, to, to uh, serve at my friend's church, man. I was telling him what a blessing it was to see that. We had a good time of fellowship. And I said, sometimes it just needs to be acknowledged because, you know, I've got some very faithful people who work with us over here. Man, I don't know where I would be without Daniel and David. I mean, they have put up with me, <laughs> walked with me. I'm grateful for men like that. We were doing the pastor appreciation. We were talking about, you know, some guys like Paul's been here for 10 years now. Uh, and, and, and Jeff, who's working with the kids, years and years. That, that is hard to find in churches, faithful people who will go the extra mile to do things. And, and when you come across faithful people, man, they refresh you. Because you know they got your back. You know they're, they're, they're with you. Uh, I, I'm refreshed when people supply things that I lack. You know, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul mentions three more people who are not in this list. Uh, he mentions uh, Ste- a guy named Stephanias. He mentions uh, Fortunus and Achaius, who Paul said supplied what I lack. And I don't know what to do in a situation so I will, where I lack things in life. You know, I might lack knowledge. I don't know what to do in a situation, so I will call my cousin Mike or my friend Ron Snelling, and they will give me some answers for problems I might have. Sometimes I lack wisdom, and I call my mother. She usually has wisdom that goes along like this. You need to change that in your life. <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> I might lack perspective, and I will call Mike Ware. He's older than me. He sees from a higher spot in the tree than I do. Uh, when I lack empathy, I enjoy talking to my grandma. She had a lot of empathy, not necessarily for me, but for other people. That helped me out. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I've had material needs, things I've lacked in life. And so I, I remember one time I was out of money and I was just talking with a friend of mine and, you know, he ended up forking over some money to help me out of a situation. And man, how blessed was I by that? And, you know, I find years later that he's in a wonderful spot. The Lord has blessed him. I was so grateful to have people like that in my life. I get really refreshed by people who can encourage me. Because, you know, from time to time, Everybody needs some encouragement, isn't that right? And you know what I found out about encouragement? is It's hard to be encouraged by negative, critical people. Do you know that? Like, like sometimes I know where I need to go, someone who I can talk to when I'm in a jam. And, and, and if they're there to encourage, man, it is a wonderful thing. It can help pick a person up. I, I'm refreshed by people that I will meet along the journey, man. I love that. You read these chapters here. Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul mentions all these people. This was like people that he met along the way. These were his traveling companions. As he's walking down the roads of life there in the Roman world, he's mentoring these men, these women, and they're doing the work of the ministry with him. And you're going to meet people along the way. I love to make friends, man. I enjoyed meeting my friend Benud in Nepal, a national jiu-jitsu champion. The Chinese smuggled him in to treat their troops. He's got such an incredible testimony. What a man to help to meet. A few weeks ago, I was introduced, I introduced you to my friend from Moldova, Marine. Remember him? And he's doing a great work for the Lord over there. I mean, how great is it to meet people along the way? We had a guy here from Uganda last year. Actually, he was earlier this year, Ditas. And I hope to connect with him at some point. I love to meet people as I'm journeying through life. Because what you got to find in life, you got to find them 
are the relationships that refresh you. Appreciate them. They are valuable. Acknowledge them. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. He mentioned these men, uh, and, and, and he said, I want to acknowledge them in the Lord. When you find someone who is refreshing to you, when they can pick you up, when they're there, knit with you, when, when they'll be with you in thick and thin foxholes, and, and, and they'll encourage you, those are relationships you want to hang out with, and those are things that bring joy in life. Now, let's talk about a second joy. Uh, jump down to Romans 16 and verse 17. All right, here's the second thought. Here's what he said. I urge you, brother, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine you've learned, and avoid them. Now, this is such an interesting thought. Why does Paul take up you know, an entire chapter to mention all these people? In the ancient world, parchment's very expensive, and yet he spent... A, a significant amount of time mentioning all these people by name. And the thought that comes with that, especially as you study the book of Romans, is this. It's that the right doctrine will produce right relationships in your life. That's a significant thought. You walk with the wise, you'll be wise. And the book of Romans is a doctrinal book. You know what doctrine means? It simply means teaching. It's the teachings of the church. It's the teachings of the Lord. It's, it's from Scripture. And this book, unlike any other book in the New Testament, is filled with doctrine. you got original sin and the fall of man, the fact that you and I are guilty of sin in the eyes of God. And then we get a justification by faith that releases the grace of God. What a powerful thing to take place in your life. I'm grateful for that. You, you get things that aren't fruitful. Sanctification, where God doesn't put up with little sin issues in your life. He starts plucking off branches and things that aren't fruitful, and he, he's forming you and molding you into the image of God. And we got to talk about predestination. God's purpose, his plan, his sovereignty in your life. And, and, and what I've discovered is when you have the right belief systems, you'll be able to walk with the right people. If I've learned anything about doctrine and people, this is what I've learned. People are never your enemy. You're fighting a battle, it isn't with people. But we do get sidetracked with these things. Now jump down to verse number 19. This is what Paul said. Uh, remember, the devil is your enemy. That's why he said, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. And he said, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly, and the grace of the Lord Jesus will be with you. Here's what the devil is looking to do. Uh, back in verse, I think, 17, he, he wants to deceive the hearts of the simple. How does Satan like to sneak into relationship and deceive people? Well, we read about it back in that 14th verse. He uses divisions, he uses offenses, and he uses false doctrines to do it. You know, a, a division, this is what Satan uses, he uses division. This is when you have a separation, or you have a disagreement over something that's so strong it will lead to a separation. You know, church history is filled with this situation, where, where people part ways, there's divisive activity that takes place. and I mean, th these are real things that happen to people. And when I think about, you know, d division, there are some people who just simply don't have the ability to unite. It's like, man, they will work everything they can to undermine and bring destruction and division. I've worked with people like that in churches. You know, I've had people who have accused some of my eldership board, some of my leaders of lying. One time I had a man, I gave him a book. He was reading it. He called me and he said, you know, your board member lied to you about reading this book. I said, well, how do you know that? He said, well, the pages aren't aren't turned. If you really read this book, the, the pages would be open more. I said, you know, that's a funny thing because he and I read the book together. I mean, why would you say something like that? Because you're trying to create a division in people. I, I see it happen. I had one time where 
Sometimes as a pastor, one of my flaws is that sometimes I can be a little too transparent. I might share things about myself that might be a little unflattering. And, and, and maybe it takes some mature people to handle something like that. Well, I was telling a guy, I was trying to help him out. I was telling him about something I was struggling with and, 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 and he was struggling with and I was trying to relate with him by telling something about myself. A week later, I was at the Oasis Water Park on Father's Day and I got a message on my phone and he just blasted me. I mean, he was using the stuff I was saying to just tear me up. And, and, and so, I mean, I was like, I'm not putting up with this, man. I don't have to like have this constant drip, drip in my life. It was like the second or third time he'd done that. So we just called that one good. Uh, The Bible says, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. I just read, he's also going to talk about people who are offended. I like to call these people drama queens. If division doesn't get you, drama will. When people are offended, they're offended because they have a, uh, a perception about something where they perceive injustice. And a lot of times they take it personally. It's almost like as if it was an affront or assault on them personally. And so they get offended about it and they create drama everywhere they go. And man, it's it's difficult to deal with people like that. The Bible says in Proverbs 24, not to make friends with an angry man, lest you learn his ways. You ever had friends that are just always angry, always upset? And I have found in situations like that, when they're very angry, frustrated with things, sometimes the best thing to do is just to cut ties. I don't want to have a love-hate relationship with somebody where they're upset, always frustrated by things. You've met people like that. Jesus said that was one of the signs of living in the last days. People are going to be constantly offended with one another. So we've got division. That's what Satan likes to use. He likes to use drama queens and offenses. And You know, one thing I've, I've learned about letting go of something is, is sometimes it's just the simplest thing to do is to go on down to Lowe's, get yourself a ladder, and get over it. Isn't that right? <laughs> you're going to have to forget. You're going to have to forgive. Uh, don't retaliate with people. You know, I was laughing because Pastor David, he's a good retaliator. One time Daniel and I, we were young bucks, and we snuck up on him with snowballs, and we pegged David pretty good. Yeah. But you know, David retaliates. He thought about it for a good hour, maybe two hours. And you know that rascal, when we were looking, he was packing bolts into snowballs. Yeah. So he came after us in the warehouse. And we were working. And Daniel is smarter than me. Daniel just took it. Daniel was, David stuck up on him. Daniel, he got like six snowballs. Down he went. But I took off running. I'm sprinting through a warehouse. That's where we're working at. And I was going around a corner. There was water. I slipped on the water. And as I slipped, that snowball hit me right in the side of the head. I rolled out like three or four times dead. All right. I was like, all right, I get it. You retaliated, you know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm a little worried about people like that because, you know, I just was at Costco the day and I flicked my friend's ear. Yeah, he wasn't too happy about it. My kids caught him sneaking up at me. So I'm always watchful <laughs> for people who retaliate. Sometimes the thing to do is just get over offenses. <laughs> Forgiveness is your way forward. Isn't that right? Yeah. He, so... Think about this. Satan will use division. You get offended, you want to just be done. He'll use drama where you perceive something that was unjust and you're angry about. And he uses false doctrines. That's what the verse said, man. Don't get caught up with doctrines that were not taught. Now, a a false doctrine is an error that takes place outside of the scripture. And the Bible warns in 2 Peter, the entire book of 2 Peter is a book about false doctrine. I mean, he, he, like, that's something that happens in these last days. It's like false doctrine is fairly rampant in the times we're living in. 
What's interesting to me is Galatians 5, when it's talking about the work of the flesh, it lists heresy, which is a form of false doctrine. So you can have error, you can have heresy, you can get way off. And what an error is, is when you overemphasize a particular truth. And, and this happens a lot, man. P- people, when they get off doctrinally, they're overemphasizing a particular thing that's true. You know, one of the ways I've, I've seen it taking, taking place in Romans 8, we're, we're in the study in Romans, it talks about, you know, that there's a day coming and the manifestation of the sons of God. The earth is crying with groaning. Well, years ago, there was a group of people and they got a hold of that and they started teaching. Uh, it was called the Manifest Sons Theology. They believed that they were, had glorified bodies and could not be killed. Yeah, and they were teaching that. They were going from place to place. People were buying into it. You know, that they, they had enough money to get a, a, a plane ride somewhere. And the plane ended up flying into the side of the mountain. And guess what? <laughs> they didn't walk away from that one. Because they, they took a particular truth and over-realized, over-read into it. There was a man in 1934 named Maurice Wilson. He used to play baseball in, 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 uh, over in England. And uh, he got a hold of this idea that if you fasted enough, you could do anything. Like, it could conquer any problem in your life. And when he was challenged on that doctrine, he decided he was going to prove them wrong. He got on a plane and went to Nepal, and he said, I'm going to climb Mount Everest entirely by fasting. They never did find him. It's a funny thing that people will take certain things to extremes. So how does that work, you know, in doctrine? You know, right, right now, one of the doctrines that's running around churches is something we call hyper grace. It's an overemphasized form of grace. And there's a major denomination which is known, well known for its music and they got in so much trouble recently because all the leaders who were buying into it ended up abusing people. They were having all kinds of sexual problems, drug problems taking place. And it was because this grace theology with any correction and no holiness was just running rampant through it. And that caused all kinds of problems. And in the 1970s, my grandma was telling me about a movement called the shepherding movement. And in the 2000s is sort of like what the government of 12, G12 movement was doing. And it's the idea that you need accountability, which is true. You need accountability. But these guys were teaching that, you know, you had to bring all your decisions through kind of the leader of your church, your organization, or your small group, and they'd help you make the decisions. And they could tell you if going to Disneyland was a good thing for your family or if you need to go to Yellowstone Park. Well, guess what? I'm not particularly interested where you want to go vacation, okay? Those things are left up to you. But people can get all kinds of doctrines off and you can get relationships hurt and you can get in trouble when you overemphasize something and it can become air in your life. You know, the, the correct doctrine produces right belief systems. And that's what the book of Romans reveals. I, I like what the gospel of John says, John 1.17. It says that uh, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. And what I've discovered here in the, in the book of Romans is it highlights the grace of God, and and the way that you and I are to walk with him. And that means that we need to treat people with grace. And there's something amazing about the grace of God operating in your life. Uh, When you treat people with grace, and I'm not talking about being foolish with it. I'm just saying if you're going to err to one side, you should err to the side of love. You know why that is? Because you can speak the truth in love. I've been on the giving end of speaking the truth in love, and I've been on the receiving end of speaking the truth in love. And I've discovered it's the best way to handle situations. When you can honestly, truthfully talk to people, when you can extend grace to someone considering your own self, that's a place where relationships can thrive. The the right doctrine produces not just the right belief systems, the right doctrine will also produce the right behavior in your life. Now, I'm 43, 
And you know what I've discovered? Room for improvement in my own life. Room for improvement in some of the things that I've done with my behavior. I've discovered behavioral changes are more than just habits and consistencies. Behavioral change has to do with your sense of identity. Like, do you identify with truth from the scripture? Is it real and alive in your heart? Because the truth is the thing that sets you free. And when you've got the word of God working in your heart, that's when you can identify with it, that, that I am going to be a person who lives for the Lord. I'm going to live holy. I'm going to live without reproach. I'm, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to raise my children the right way. It's because the word of God is working in my life. And what, what kind of teaching are you sitting under? Uh, what, what kind of doctrines do you listen to? Do you listen to doctrines that are true? You can sometimes tell they're true when they provoke your conscience. Because we're living in a time right now when people don't want to have their conscience provoked. They want to live the way they want to live, and they want to be affirmed with that. And I, it's a funny thing, man, preaching. Uh, I've had people who've come to me after sermons, and they've said, oh, man, that was just a great message. And, and they'll tell me how much it blessed them. And I think to myself, really, what, was it a great sermon, or did it just fit your agenda? Because I've had people, you know, one time I was teaching about, like, you know, eschatology and Babylon, and, and, and I don't know, I, you know, when you're young and you're teaching some things, you can kind of get lost in the weeds somewhere. I was... But I had these people come up to me and they were just thrilled by what I taught. Well, I found out later it's because they'd taken their inheritance money and put everything into Iraqi dinars. And they said that, you know, that's going to be reevaluated. We're going to be millionaires. And so they loved my sermon. <laughs> it wasn't because it was true necessarily. It's because they had an agenda. That's where you get people with itching ears. That, that's what happens in many places where truth isn't taught. It's easy for things to drift. And that's why you have to have the right doctrine so you can have right relationships, be able to correct, be able to have truth. That's what it's for. Now, let me give you a third joy here. Romans 16, and I'm jumping down to the end of the chapter. Romans 16, verse 25. Watch this. To him who is able to establish you, I love this, according to my gospel. How interesting is it, Romans 16, verse 25, that Paul called it my gospel? And the preaching, he said, of Jesus Christ. You know, the gospel has to be preached. And in God's economy, there's a premium on it. There's a premium on uh, the truth of the word being taught. It's the foolishness of preaching. Uh, the gospel, it says, is according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. But now it's made manifest by the prophetic scriptures. Jesus was a prophetic mystery. You know that? This is the beauty of the Old Testament. I mean, I think about how Jesus in the Old Testament is, is the seed of, the, of, of the, the, the seed of the woman. Jesus is likened to the lion of the tribe of Judah. He, he's the scepter uh, of Israel. He's the star of Israel. It, it, the Bible calls him the rock of ages. In Isaiah, he's revealed as the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he's the branch of righteousness. And in Malachi, he, the Bible says that he's the, the son of righteousness who comes with healing in his wings. And the book of Zephaniah says that Jesus is the desire of all nations. The gospel is why the scriptures must be made known. It says to all the nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, verse 27, to God who alone is wise. He, he is the king eternal. He's immortal. He's invisible. James chapter 1 says he dwells in unapproachable light. That's what makes him so wise. And here's the point I want to make as we close out this whole book, man. Only a relationship with Jesus can establish you. 
He's able to establish you, and only a relationship with Jesus is going to do that. The word establish is the Greek word strezo. And uh, what that means is to make stable, uh, firmly in place, uh, set fast, strengthened, and made firm. And what I love about studying the Bible like this is that you probably didn't notice that Paul's come full circle from where he began. He began in Romans chapter 1 and verse 11 when he said that he wished to impart to them some spiritual gift that they might be established. That's where he started with wanting to establish them in the gospel. And as he's closing it out, he's bringing it back home to be established in the gospel. And that's what God's goal is. It's to establish you in the good news of Jesus Christ. You know how you get established in that? Uh, it's through a revelation that you have of who Jesus is. Isaiah called him the suffering servant, Isaiah 53. Do you know how Isaiah 53 begins? The Bible says, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In order for you to really have a glimpse of who Jesus is in your life, there's a flash that takes place in your spirit where you realize I'm guilty of sin and I'm in need of a savior. And only God can do that. Only God can highlight the need that you have. I've been in moments like that. I've been in meetings like that where people come to grips with the fact that I am guilty of sin and I need a savior. And it's the light of the Lord shining. And when he shines that light, that revelation hits you and something in your heart gets established. It's, it's a revelation from the Lord. Now, that might be one of the problems we have in churches today. Nobody likes to talk about sin issues. You can go to many services across the land and feel no conviction of sin. Don't ever see you have need of a Savior. That's why we started off with Romans chapter 2, man, that all the issues of sin that humanity's faced with. Now, another thing that can help establish you is when you get a revelation of the fact that you need some help. You might come face to face with your own weaknesses. You might come face to face with your own uh, problems, your own issues, the shortcomings that you have. And in moments like that, that is the best place for you to ask the Lord for help in your life. You know, I like what David the psalmist said, Psalm 34. This poor man cried out to the Lord and the Lord asked for his help and he was there to help me. That's him establishing me. You know, you get established in your relationship with the Lord through the love of God. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prayed it. He prayed they'd be rooted and grounded in the love of God. That, that sense of love is the thing that keeps you holding on to him. Now, my, my little daughter, Lydia, she came to me a few weeks ago. She asked me this question. And then the other day, she asked the same question. She said, Dad, why do we believe in God? And I, I said to her, do you remember what I told you? She said, yes, you, you said that we believe in God because he loves us. And I said, that's right, because he loves us. I was thinking back about uh, probably a theologian you, you don't think much. His name is Karl Barth. And uh, in 1962, he's lecturing in Chicago. And he was a, he was a German, Swiss, neo-Orthodox theologian lecturing in a lecture hall. And the, the story is that someone asked the question, how could you describe your theology in one sentence? And Karl Barth is said to have taken just a moment and he said, well, I suppose it would be the stories I heard on my mother's knee when she said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. When you know that God loves you, when you understand Romans 5, verse 8, while you and I were yet in sin, Christ came for us. If you knew how much God loved you, it's very hard to drift away from him because he loves you. There's something about being established in that relationship with Jesus where you understand how much he loves you. That is a revelation. Your mind can't wrap itself around it, but the revelation of the Holy Spirit can give it to you. And that 
is a revelation that will establish you and keep you from stumbling. I like what the book of Jude said, to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. Man, there's that, that statement, but for the grace of God, there go I. His grace, the Bible says, is sufficient. And grace is there to help me when I need it the most. When I'm in need, when I'm down, when I don't know what to do, I need his grace. And the most amazing thing about grace, the Bible says that he can keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the throne. Think about that. His grace is so amazing. Not only will he establish you, but he will present you faultless before the Lord on that day. What an incredible thought about his grace. You know what else I need to keep me from stumbling sometimes is the support I get from other people. I love to quote Romans 15, evil company corrupts good habits. That's why I like to hang out with wise people because I want to have good habits in life. I want to learn. And that is why I love the local church, man. That's why I love to read Romans 16, all these names that are mentioned, the, the heroes that are in there, uh, all those people who were walking with Paul. And it reminds me of, of, of my church. I've loved the church since I was a kid, man. I mean, other than the times when I wanted to not go to Sunday school. <laughs> I love the friends that I met at church, man. And as a church where I met my friend, Brother Brant, uh, he was instrumental in establishing me in my walk with the Lord. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the ministers, the men of God that have helped me walk with God, that have helped grow me. I'm grateful for revelation, truth they taught, so I would grow in the things of God. Let me ask you this morning if you have a relationship with people around you that refresh you. Do you have that relationship with people? You got people you can think of. When I think of them, man, they refresh my spirit. Yeah. You know, I, that's why you need the local church. I had a man refresh me the other week. I was sitting in here, and he said, how are you doing today? And I said, uh, I'm all right. And he said, you know, Pastor Jordan, you're a terrible liar. <laughs> he, he could see I was going through something. Now, I'm grateful for people like that. I'm grateful for refreshment in the form of ironing, sharpening iron. I'm grateful people refresh me uh, by encouraging me. I'm grateful when they can tell you the truth. I'm grateful when, when you can bear your heart, bear your soul, be honest. I, I love, I, I enjoy people being able to pick me up when I'm down, man. That's a beautiful thing about church. That's the beautiful thing about the brotherhood. That's the beautiful thing about the blood of Jesus. And you got people together and we call on that name of Jesus and we're under his blood and, and, and that's where all things are naked and open. We, we, can, we can be with one another in the love of God. It's an amazing thing. I'm grateful for those that refresh me. Now, if your relationships are not right, if there's a struggle, it could be that your belief systems are off. You might be believing a lie. There might be something in your mind that you're dwelling on that isn't true, and it's causing a problem. I'll tell you what's interesting. I had a, a man in church... Some years ago, he was a Jehovah Witness. He got saved listening to a guy named Alistair Bag on the radio. And so he started drifting away from being a Jehovah Witness. And, you know, the funny thing about it was, you know, he, he told me that it cost him his marriage. He got divorced. And then he got ostracized by his family, his, his mom, his dad, his brothers. They were so mad at him for leaving the church. And, and then he said that he, he was like shunned. And the whole thing was just so painful for him. And it's because it was sort of like being caught up in cult-like behavior. And the only way they knew how to handle him was to totally cut him out of their life. It brought him so much pain. Because there's no grace in that belief system. They're not brought up with, with, with a way of loving people. He had a horrible time making relationships work. The wrong belief systems will lead to the wrong outcomes in your life. And the final question we have to ask this morning are you established 
in your own relationship with Jesus. That is the point of the whole book of Romans. He wanted to establish you in the gospel. This is the, the road less traveled. This series I was doing through the book of Romans, it's a play on what's called the Romans road. You ever heard of the Romans road? That, that's the point of, of salvation revealed in Romans that you and I are guilty of sin. Romans chapter three, all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. Romans chapter six, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of life comes in Christ Jesus. That you have peace with God when you place your faith in him. Romans 5.1. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Man, his blood is so powerful, it cleanses you from past faults. And I love how Romans chapter 10 says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That's a road you got to walk down to be saved. It's a road not many people travel. Because here's what happens in life's journey. You get to come to a fork in the road. And you might be at that fork in the road this morning. I was at the fork of that road on the 16th of May, 1998, as an 18-year-old. I had to make a decision which way I was going to turn. Which direction am I going to go? And I chose the path that the Lord had for me. It's a narrow path. It's a path where he's working in my life, correcting, rubbing off, sanctifying me, purifying me, correcting me. But not everyone takes that path because there's also a broad path and it just leads to destruction. There's a narrow path which leads to life. And you're going to have to choose the way you want to walk, which road you're going to walk down. That is what's revealed here. You can be established in the things of God or you can drift away from it. The book of Romans, man. So I just want to give you a chance to every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know if you're at that fork right now, man. I don't know where you're at. What decisions are ahead of you? Which way are you going to choose? Which direction are you going to go? I mean, the fork on the road might not just be your salvation. It might be issues in your life that you've got to get taken care of, dealt with. Things you've got to work on. Mm. Which direction are you going to go? But if you need the Lord, if you need to repent, if you need to get right with Him, I want to just give you a chance to put your hand up. And I want to pray with you. I see those hands. Yeah. To get right with Him. I see that hand. All right. So just pray this all together with me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, a sinner, and I thank you for your righteousness that you have given to me through your blood. And I receive it. And I want to walk with you. And I want to grow in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's super simple, man. Call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you prayed that, I'd love to pray with you after the service. Come to meet with you. But as I was just up here ministering, I just kept thinking about this fork in the road. And I don't know what fork in life you're at, but it's sometimes you get to decision-making. And there's all kinds of decisions you got to make in life. Some decisions are more, they're larger than other decisions. But I, I just can't help but feel that, uh, you know, maybe it's a business you're starting. Uh, may, maybe it's relationships you're dealing with. Maybe it's, you know, some area of your life that there's a fork. And I just can't help but feel I got an impression about it. Yeah, a fork in the road, and you got to know which way to go. And I just want to pray over that. Anyone feel like they're faced with decisions that you, you know which way to go? You got a decision? I'd like to pray for it. I don't know who it is. If you got a fork, if you got some decision in front of you, just put a hand up. I want to pray. I see hands. I see four. Yeah. Yeah, lots of people got decisions on what to do. Big decisions, little decisions. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the wisdom and the grace of God to know what to do. I thank you, Father, you're with us. You're going to lead us and you're going to guide us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And I thank you for the peace of God to accompany us and to go with us. Father, I thank you. I thank you. Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord. I pray good decisions, godly decisions. Yeah. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus.
Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. I just can't help but feel uh, that when you um, make good decisions, you'll find the peace of the Lord accompanying it. But you'll find, yeah, that's what you'll find the blessing of God on the other side of it. Mm, that is what I sense. I sense a path of blessing and a path of cursing. I feel like, you know, when, like even in my own life, man, if you make a, a good decision and you go down the right path, the blessing of the Lord will be there to back you up. And that is what I sense. I sense God's blessing coming to you if you make the right decisions. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up this morning. Yeah. Boy, it's good to be in the house of the Lord together with you. Did you enjoy the study from the book of Romans? Yeah. yeah. So next week, we've got Dick DeWert here coming with us. You're going to love him, man. He encouraged and blessed me so much. And he just got an incredible ministry in Canada. I'm so, I'm so you know, blessed to have him. That guy has literally started 800 churches up there. Spirit-filled works, man. He's just a great man of God. I know of a great time. So I love you. I bless you in the name of the Lord. Father, I thank you for this people here. And I pray you bless them, they're coming and they're going. And I thank you for the blessing of the Lord as they follow you in obedience. Not just financial blessing, but blessing in their relationships, blessings in their home, blessing and increase in every area of their life. I pray the wisdom of God to come upon them. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen and amen. I love you all. I will catch you all next Sunday morning. It's great to have you out. God bless you. If you want prayer, you come down and pray with us. We'd love to have you.